Listening Dog Media. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Offside Rule. We get it. Brought to you by a Wolves fan, a Manchester United fan and a Liverpool fan. Hello and welcome to episode 37 of the Offside Rule We Get It podcast with myself, Lindsay Hooper, joined once again by... Hayley McQueen. I'm so glad the podcast is finally older than us all. (laughs) It is. (laughs) Just. (laughs) It's Kate Borsay. Hello. Um, what we're going to do today, girls, is we're going to reflect on final day drama from this weekend just gone in the football leagues, from the championship all the way down to the Skrill Premier. We'll start off with that. We're also going to talk about adopted teams. We did this many, many moons ago. Do you even remember who your adopted team is? Because I must admit, I had to double check. <laughs> I do, because they're my local team from when I was a kid. And I can't believe that you forgot yours, Lindsay. I remembered both of yours. And I remembered Hayley because of um, James Beattie. So I remember Dacrington. Yeah, who's when I picked up on them, we're doing terribly, but I think I must be like James Beattie, a lucky charm. And I'll tell you about their season in just a moment because it's been quite uh, up and down like a roller coaster to say the least. Well, if you're the fairy godmother of Accrington, I'm like the kiss of death for Oxford because it is not good news for my team. OK, and I'll leave you to try and remember who I was voting for. Um, we'll go on to Twitter Topic of the Week later as well. Um, Sean Thorne this week is looking at loan signings and who's been successful. But we've been asking you about that on our Twitter account, at Offside Rule Pod. Uh, thank you very much for getting in touch about that. Uh, football tributes is what we'll end with. So Jose Mourinho in the match programme wrote a very nice uh, piece, Tributing to his son in the last Chelsea game. Um, it paid great tribute to him, actually. It was a nice piece. Uh, it made us think of other examples where there have been good footballing tributes. Mine involves Gold Lame, Craig Bellamy and <laughs> Michael Jackson. <laughs> really? Yeah. OK. Um, Sue Smith has got our WSL roundup, but also just to mention that um, Jose Mourinho is sort of the the catalyst for our third topic this week. However, um, I got really fed up of him being on the back pages recently, so it was really good that it's been Liverpool and Manchester City has been the talking. And um, yeah, It has, has it? It's been really good that Liverpool and Manchester... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Sorry to rub it in, Hayley. Uh, but it has, and the title race going down to the wire, and of course it has had that roller coaster effect, lots of peaks and troughs on the way through to the bitter end, which is this weekend, and we will reflect on all things title race in next week's podcast and be ready to do that. And Kate Borsay, I hate to say it, you might have to do that through gritted teeth with Liverpool, haven't you? <laughs> I've already given up. It's over. Oh. No, don't give up. Um, we're going to talk then and reflect on final day for the lower leagues. Uh, this is Championship through to Scroll Premier. So uh, let's do that for topic one, first of all. I want your most memorable moment from the final day. There were so many going up and down the leagues. So much drama. I was working on final score on Saturday and listening to all the other reporters who were at key games and listening to everything as it, as it happened. And it just makes you remember how much you love that drama of final day. So let's start with Hayley and the standout memory for you from final day? Well, obviously it's not the final day of the Premier League yet, but I was engrossed in the Monday night football when it was Liverpool cruising with 11 minutes to go 3-0 up. Never did I think they would throw away a lead to Crystal Palace in the manner that they did. It's a joke. I mean, I thought we weren't going to mention this. Well, I'm diverting the attention away because it was happening in the Championship as well. (laughs) Birmingham City, who needed a win to stay in the Championship, a side that just three seasons ago had won the league Cup, who were up there enjoying life in the Premier League, uh, facing League One football, possibly without a win. They trailed 2-0 with 12 minutes to go. Guess what? 
They did it. They got the points. They needed points to stay up. And it was Cadiz in extra time. The equaliser by a Scotsman. Well done, son. There you have it. They sealed the win, but how the mighty could have fallen. Lee Clark at the end just looked absolutely exhausted. I think the, the emotions of the highs and lows. We saw it at Liverpool with Suarez crying. We saw it with Gerard with his head hung low after having kissed the camera just a short while below. Very similar scenes as well with the Birmingham City up against, you'd have to say, tough opposition in Bolton but it was Doncaster Donny who've gone down the scenes by the way from Birmingham fans were amazing you you see some flashes if you saw the football league show where they look dead in the water you know they look like oh we've got league one football I actually thought that they were going down to league one with Wolves as well going up I thought oh we're we're actually switching um, here but the jubilation when that added time goal goes in and can you, the emotions those fans went through in one afternoon Lee Clark when he did his post-match interviews and you were saying about that I heard quite a lot of those post-match interviews with him he sounded exhausted he sounded like he hadn't got another breath he could give really I think he, he'd just been through the mill I hope that they take heed because Birmingham City is a great club, but oh my goodness, they're being very badly run from the top. The finances are all over the place. We all know what's going on uh, with the owner as well. Things are not good at Birmingham and if they're not careful, they're going to go the way of Wolves and they've had a really lucky escape. They've got to make sure it doesn't happen next season. Well, the way of Wolves, Kate, is to come back up with a record number of points in League One. Um, uh, What I will say about them is that they need to, and I wonder whether this is something which we're picking up on in our our Twitter topic of the week, but there is a negative side to loan signings because Birmingham have had a lot of loan signings, but loan players that when they know that they're not going to be there, I mean, lots of people have said, are they going to care anymore? Do they want to be in a relegation fight, loan players? Do they? Because they know that they could just go back to their parent club or whatever happens at the end of the season. Um, we have had some success stories and I think we've had favourite loan players which we're going to reflect in Twitter Topic of the Week but it does work the other way around as well it's some concern for some clubs I think Well you've got Caddis here of course who's on loan from Swindon having been one of the players that fell out with Paolo Di Canio in his first season on loan popping up and, and making sure that the club that he isn't you know he's representing the club but he's mm. you know the club don't own him so maybe they'll make sure they snap him up for sure I'm going to talk about Bristol Rovers because at the beginning of the season if we we're going to talk about concern for one of the Bristol sides, it would be Bristol City and all the turbulence behind the scenes there. Now, Bristol Rovers is a sorry old tale, really. Relegated from League Two on the final day of the season, of course, um, at the weekend just past. The Memorial Stadium was not a happy place. Now, some fans resign themselves to relegation. It's all very sombre. It's all very moody at the end. Bristol Rovers, <laughs> I don't want to say aggressive, but it did take a turn with fans invading the pitch. Um, and then uh, boos and choruses of sack the board, you know, clearly not happy with what's going on at their uh, football club. They had to be really cleared off by police horses there. The result, really, of Bristol Rovers going down for the first time in their history, I should say, down down to the conference, means that they're now in a league that's incredibly difficult to get out of. It's really competitive, that league. And we've seen so many teams go down and really struggle to come back up again. Look at how long it's taken Luton to come back, for example. It's a 
tough league to get out of. And not only that, Bristol Rovers were trying to move to a new stadium. All that's going to be questioned. There's a huge question marks over the ownership of the club and the way that the club is being run. Not good times for them at all. And as I said, we all thought it was going to be Bristol City. We'd be talking about the fact it's Bristol Rovers is a sorry tale to tell. I'm going to mention Northampton in particular because, you know, Northampton spent 217 days in the relegation zone and survived on the final day. They'd only just come out of the relegation zone the week before um, when they beat Dagenham and Redbridge. And the thing with Northampton is from September until that point, just a couple of weeks ago, they were in relegation. A lot of people thinking, oh, that they're probably going to go down. They'd already started preparing financially. Not that they they wanted to go down, of course not, but they were having to face up to it. And um, David Cardoza, the chairman of Northampton Town, uh, had started doing his sums and he reckoned going out of the Football League was going to cost in the first year around £700,000 and in the second year was going to be about a million pounds of income that they would lose. Uh, And that's what's facing Bristol Rovers now. Now, you know, Bristol Rovers, the tragic thing about this is they spent one day in the relegation zone and got relegated. The other sad thing is, you know, Bristol's a team that I've watched out for in the past, you know, not a million miles away from where I was brought up. Such a large area, such a huge pool of talent, yet both clubs you know struggling and now one of the clubs isn't even in the football league it's a huge catchment area that you know really really large um yeah it's a shame um and it's the first time since 1920 that they'll have slipped out of the football league what a rich history they've got and i do agree with you kate that it's such a shame that a city like bristol hasn't got a team fighting in the premier league or top of the championship really because it's it's a great place or even two teams, Rovers and City, against each other in the same league with that rivalry reignited again, like you know that is happening in, in Manchester right now. And funnily enough, you mentioned a little day spent in the relegation zone. Manchester City has spent the least time at the top of the table. Arsenal, Liverpool and Chelsea have actually spent more time at the top, which is quite crazy. I think that'll be a first in the Premier League. Yeah, and we also must mention as well when we when we were just going quickly back to the relegation in League Two that Wickham, you know, beating Torquay. I, I actually thought that might happen, but the fact that Wickham managed to pull off that escape, it, it was really their day for celebration. Uh, they spent seven days in the relegation zone and survived. I think Northampton are the, the ones that everyone's pointing at and thinking, well, you're the ones that really got away with it. Um, talking about Bristol Rovers again for one second, uh, John Ward, who was appointed their manager for a second spell back in December, I think 2012. Um, he ended up going and being a director of football for them and um, Daryl Clark stepped up to be their first team manager instead. Um, Clark got two wins and a draw from the last eight games. That wasn't enough to keep them up in the end, but they tried their best to do everything to try and keep that team in the Football League. Um, and I'm with Kate and saying that I, I think that it's going to be a tough call for them to come straight back up. Anything else? Something in Scroll Premier? Yeah, just looking at the conference premiere here, final day decisions uh, there. Chester went down on the final day. They um, drew 2-2 with Salisbury, but went down on goal difference. How painful is that for poor old Chester? Got to say congratulations to Telford United, who go up to the conference premiere. Uh, that was after beating Gainsborough on the final day again. So more final day drama. Well, we have a new addition to the Offside Rule team, and that is Sue Smith, who's doing um, a Women's Super League roundup. So Sue has got the latest, um, and it's been Continental Cup games recently. So what's been going on there? Hi, ladies. Here's my weekly roundup of women's football this week. It's been predominantly Continental Cup. However, there was one FA Cup quarterfinal between Arsenal and Birmingham. After Birmingham knocked them out of the Champions League, I think Arsenal definitely had a point to prove. And despite going 1-0 down, Arsenal were victorious, winning the game 2-1. 
so they now face rivals Chelsea in the semi-final. The other semi-finals between Notts County and Everton, which for me is a real difficult one to call. Probably the biggest result in the Continental Cup was Liverpool beating Sunderland 6-0. Sunderland went into this game with a 100% record and Liverpool have been a little bit iffy, but this time they've definitely clicked in front of goal. Unlucky for Sunderland, but great for Liverpool. Natasha Dowie scored a hat-trick and that just sent them on their way. Man City also got their first win of the campaign, which was a 1-0 result over Everton. Thankfully, Doncaster Bells, my team, uh, we've maintained a 100% record, beating Durham and Man City in the Continental Cup. Got a little bit of a break now, which is nice for me, um, as it's International Week, but obviously the international girls are going away. They're actually playing Ukraine at Greenhouse Meadow in Shrewsbury. This will be a really tough test for England. Ukraine are always a strong physical side, but we know that the girls are going to be full of confidence. They've played five, they've won five in the group. So for me, hopefully it's going to be six out of six, but please go down and watch the girls and support them. The Lionesses will be without stars Kaz Carney and, and Tony Duggan, who have minor injuries, but thankfully it's only minor Ellen White, unfortunately, she did a cruciate ligament at the start of the season. So she's going to be out for the entire season. Absolutely devastated for her. But again, I know what type of character she is and she will definitely come back fitter and stronger than before. Okay, and lastly, I'd just like to mention Sheffield FC. They beat Cardiff 6-2 in the Women's Premier League Cup final. That's a great achievement for them. And like, congratulations to all of them. I'm sure they'll be celebrating. That's all for me, ladies. So I will see you again next week. Thank you very much, Sue. And on to topic number two, we had adopted teams at the start of the season. Um, I do remember who mine is, by the way. It was Newport County. I'm just going (laughs) to fill you all in now. Um, Yes, we all adopted a team. We'll do the same next season as well. Um, Just a team in the lower leagues to look out for and see how they do. I'm going to start with Hayley on this one because Accrington Stanley, Accrington Stanley, were they? Um, They were doing so badly, but... James Beatty turned it around. He did. Can you believe a side that started the season after an absolute nightmare with just one win in 13 at the start with eight back-to-back defeats in all competition as well. Managed to not only survive, but finish in a fairly respectable 15th. James Beattie said that keeping Accrington Stanley in the Football League in his first season as a manager is pretty much one of the highlights in his career. And this is a man who's played for many clubs and and enjoyed quite a bit of success. They were favourites for relegation at the very start of the season and certainly definitely favourites. A few games in, as the stats say, uh, just two points from the first 10 games as well. It was abysmal. Uh, but instead of the powers at B giving BC the boot, BC put on his boots and came out and actually played as a player manager and managed to help them out a little bit. Um, Anyway, another thing that he managed to do and and be very successful of as well is not just sticking out for the season with the owners standing by him, which has actually proved um, that it works. Also, added to this, they could have had even more woes because as we know, this is a side who operate with one of the smallest budgets in the football league. They actually attract an average home attendance of 1,600, okay? But it's not quite enough to keep the club up and running. They were fined £20,000 at the start of the year after the Football League revealed that James Beattie didn't have the necessary qualifications. He needed a UA for B licence. He avoided a £15,000 fine. They let him off 
with that, it was suspended because he actually passed it. It normally takes somebody nine to 12 months to do this. What did he do? Not only was he managing the side, not only was he still playing and training, he completed it with flying colours in 12 weeks. Saved the club a fine, saved their place in the Football League. That's a little bit like when I was learning to drive, I was tempted to do that that course, that intense course. The B licence, like learning to drive. It just reminds me of doing a crash course and just doing it in super duper quick time. But James Beattie obviously picked it up very quick indeed. Not the case with me and my driving. I'm yours, Kate. Oxford United. Well, I thought I'd picked a real winner here being that I'm from fairly close near to Oxford uh, having spent my formative years there in Gloucestershire um, Oxford were one of our local teams and they were doing really really well when I was a youngster and I always remember people in my class having like a UFC pencil cases and stuff <laughs> by the way do you know that you've got a famous fan do you know who was at the Northampton game when they played at the weekend Timmy Mallet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great, yeah. Uh, well, he didn't make all the difference. He, he could have done with his mallet's mallet to hit round the heads of the players towards the end of the season. When we spoke, we obviously spoke at the beginning of the season and we spoke um, in December time about our teams. And at that time, Chris Wilder was one of the longest serving managers in the Football League. Oxford were top or second, you know, floating between top and second of League Two. How times have changed. Well, Chris Wilder, ironically, went to Northampton, yeah. of course, who Oxford played on the last day of the season and um, it all started to go terribly wrong in January. He'd moulded them into the side worthy of promotion. It looked like it was finally going to happen Um, but he left. They didn't find a replacement for the U's until Gary Waddock came in in March but the team were already in free fall. They'd been in free fall for weeks collecting eight points from the final third of the season. That's all they managed after that stellar start. Final game of the season, 3-1 defeat, Lindsay. Um, Obviously, you were there. um, And that was the seventh defeat of his eight games in charge for Waddock. The one thing I will say about that final game is Ryan Williams scored and then got sent off just a few minutes later. And actually, Oxford were on top. And I think, had he not been dismissed, Oxford United might have won that game and Northampton might have gone down. But you don't make those kind of errors if you're a team gunning for promotion. And do you know what the really painful thing is for Oxford? Now, this was already done and dusted a couple of weeks ago because the points difference was nine. But they finished. At, so you just have to remember from I'm, I'm angry about this, aren't I? <laughs> yeah. From being second and first in the league, they finished in eighth out just out of the playoff places. Now, the, as I said, the points difference was nine. But what a sorry tale to tell. And last month, Waddock had used words like drained and devastated to describe what his players felt like. Um, oh, gosh. Now the rebuilding's got to start at Oxford. I just feel like they, they achieved so much and now it's all been put to waste. Some good news is, is that some of the some of the youth players who've done really well have been offered professional contracts. No news as to what's going to happen to veteran Dave Kitts. And I really, really hope someone takes them by the scruff of the neck because they were going to go up. You're obviously very passionate about that one, Kate. Um, the one that I chose was Newport County, and it was because it was their very first season in the Football League. I wanted to see how they got on. Lots of people uh, immediately tipping them to go back out of the Football League, but they did 
really, really well. It took them 25 years to get there. And we're talking about rising from the sort of lower pyramids of below school premier, you know, southern divisions all the way through up until they got into the Football League. Um, and on the final day, they had a 2-1 win on the last day of the season against League Two title contenders Rochdale and finished in a respectable 14th place overall in the table. Um, they flirted with the promotion playoffs for quite a while at one point. Uh, talk about Oxford United, Kate. Um, they actually beat Oxford United 3-2 at home. That was when Oxford were flying quite high, actually. And it left Newport eighth in the table. And they were just three points off the playoff places with three games in hand at that point in the season. And you're thinking, are they going to actually get promotion here? Um, they had to wait, though, afterwards. Um, they, they had a, a bit of a bad run and they had problems as well, drainage problems with their pitch. I don't know if they're uh, blaming that for anything. Um, but... In overall, a 14th place finish is pretty good going. Just in Edinburgh, the manager, he had lots of injuries to deal with as well uh, to the key strikers. Um, Connor Washington, uh, he got seven goals for Newport and he attracted attention from League One. Peterborough United went there in January, so they, he lost his top scorer as well. So loads of different things that he had to compete with. Um, and despite all of those challenges, I think perhaps the most poignant result, which you can make a comparison, um, is the 2-0 away victory at Portsmouth because this is a team that in 2008 were a Premier League team they'd won the FA Cup and here's a team that in the you know fourth consecutive season in the Conference South that was six tiers below Pompey go and play them beat them 2-0 away um, and that must be one of the things that Newport look back on and, and must be smiling uh, shall we take another break now we'll hear from Sean Thorne for Twitter topic of the week and this is all about loan signings what have you got for us Sean Twitter Topic of the Week. We're all about the loan signings on Twitter Topic of the Week this week. We've been asking you guys, which loan do you think the loan signings of the season have been? And which loan stars at your club are you sad to say goodbye to? Uh, Scott Munro, he's gone for Alex Pritchard at Swindon. He's also gone for Jay McEverly as well, given 100% every game and an honest pro. Uh, Alan Miller, he's gone for Stephen Ward, who's had a loan spell at Brighton. Joey's gone for Lukaku at Everton, though he's been on a bit of a slump recently, but most of the loanies which have been at Everton this season have been really, really good. De La Feo as well is definitely a, a young star in the making. I'd like to see him play another season at Everton, really, but I don't know if this uh, big transfer embargo around Barcelona might put the kibosh on that. Mark O'Neill's also gone for Lukaku, and uh, he suggests that Everton push the boat out and do their best to keep him on a permanent basis. He's attributed a lot of Everton's success to the big forward. A lot of you have gone for Fabio Barini, Miguel, Richard Powell, Katie and cop that LFC all saying that, you know, Sunderland, they're not top of the league, but Barini has been an absolute inspiration and he's played a vital role in gaining at least six of their nine survival points. Cheers for everyone who got in touch this week. I've been Sean Thorne and I'll hand you back to the girls. Thank you very much for that. And if you'd like to take part in our next Twitter topic of the week, you can go to at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter. Um, we'd love to get your thoughts. Uh, we're going to finish off by talking tributes in football today, girls. Uh, all off the back of Jose Mourinho um, writing a tribute to his son in the Chelsea match programme last time out. And I was thinking of other tributes in football that have been really fun, really good, uh, maybe not so good as well in the case of one of mine. Um, we're going to start with Hayley. What have you got? Well, the famous tribute from Mohammed Al-Fayed to his late <laughs> friend Michael Jackson, which has stood proud as a big statue outside Craven Cottage. Quirky, to say the least. But I tell you what, bye-bye, Mohammed. 
bye-bye Michael Jackson, bye-bye Premier League. It's been a bit of a lucky charm, hasn't it? As soon as they take Michael down, rip the heart out of the club, why don't they? Put him in a football museum and poof, just like that, Michael up above, you're bad. You really are bad. <laughs> and now Fulham, they could be history. Oh, she's been wanting oh. to do that for ages. What, what one have you got? Well, I've got a bit of a sombre one to start off with because when I think tributes, you know, I am a Liverpool fan. I am going to mention this because I thought it was a wonderful tribute from a club that's historically our local rival. Um, there have been various Hillsborough tributes over the years and we've seen the uh, matches all kicking off seven minutes late, six minutes to commemorate the um, six minutes of that game played, um, but also an extra minute silence as well. We've seen that happen um, within the last month or so. Um, but the one that really, really stuck out for me was in September 2012 when Everton played Newcastle at Goodison Park. Um, and this is just Everton showing real class, I think, um, in amongst this tragedy. Um, you saw two mascots coming out of the tunnel um, and there was a little girl in an Everton blue shirt and um, and there was um, a little boy in the red of Liverpool and they came out and then they turned around and you saw that they had a nine and a six on them um, to obviously um, uh, to respect those 96 who never came home from that game um, and it was just a really moving moment. I remember watching it because it, it, it moved me, it really struck me and then um, Everton played the Hollies, He Ain't Heavy which is, you know, a huge Liverpool anthem and known across the whole of Liverpool. And that was such a lovely thing for them to do. You know, it goes beyond rivalry. It goes beyond football, really, doesn't it? You know, with a, with, um, a tragedy like that. And I, I just thought that was, it was such a classy thing to do. And it was it was such a wonderful thing to do. And it's, it's probably one of the Hillsborough tributes, which really sticks out for me. How do I follow that when you've gone for really poignant and I've gone for ludicrous? It's very difficult to follow that. Um, Okay, well, let's deflect attention onto Mirror Football for a second, who created a tribute video to Emil Heskey when he was released by Aston Villa. I will make sure I get this YouTube link out there um, via our Twitter account. Um, What can I say about this video? It's not very nice, basically. It's photos of Heskey with a very anguished look on his face every time he's missed a goal, all going along to the song, I've Missed Again. Um, A little bit harsh, I felt. And some comments as well underneath saying, you know what? Actually, Emil Heskey achieved some brilliant things. I'll let you decide on that as an interesting tribute. But the video there for you to enjoy will be on on our website and also so on our Twitter account. But Emil Heskey, a bad tribute there. What about Ronaldo, the Brazilian football Ronaldo, the fat Ronaldo, I guess you could say. Well, he was a star of a very special parade in Sao Paulo. It happened just a few months ago, presumably building up to the Brazil World Cup, of course. And it was carnival. There was carnival fever. Thousands of party goers were decked out in crazy masks, costume, the glitz and glamour, as you can imagine. Lots of them as well, wearing as little as possible, Rihanna style, I'm talking. But Ronaldo, he was a guest of honour. But not only that, he wasn't just a guest of honour. There were f- huge floats displayed, each one representing part of the striker's career. That's right. Oh. Quite crazy. He was then wheeled out on a glittering gold float with lame-covered decking on the bottom, the sides, everywhere. Not only was the float gold, the wheels, everything, he was in a gold lame suit with a gold oh. shirt, oh, a gold tie. Oh. 
his glistening gold tooth. That's right. <laughs> with scantily clad dancers sprayed in gold around him, accompanied by his mother and father. So he was having to be on his best behaviour. Got Wang would have a nightmare with that, wouldn't he? I mean, can you imagine Fat Renelda and Gold Lame? I couldn't have anything worse. <laughs> really, Gold Tooth. Yeah. Really. And in Venice, apparently, at the same time, consistently, thousands of people donned white masks and elaborate costumes with masks as well of Ronaldo. So just thousands of Ronaldos everywhere. Do you think he's auditioning to try and be the next James Bond baddie or something? Oh, God. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> uh, seeing as you've mentioned gold, I'm going to I'm going to interject now with my next one. Um, it's to do with wolves actually, and it was oh. a story. It's a tribute that got mistaken. A case of mistaken identity tributes. Yeah, follow me. Um, Lee Griffiths, who plays for Wolves this year, um, scored in one game. And as is the case for lots of footballers, they sometimes pay homage, don't they, and lift up their shirts and have a message underneath. And his said, R.I.P. Brian which you wouldn't think anything of. And actually, the genuine case is that this was a family member that had passed away and he was in his goal celebration, lifting up his shirt to, to sort of get the um, attention to that. What had happened that week, though, that he'd failed to realise, but the rest of the world didn't? This made news around the world. And the article that I found to do with this it happened in Fox News in America because a massive TV show, Family Guy... Brian in Family Guy had been killed off that week. Oh. So everyone thought he was paying homage to R.I.P. Brian from Family Guy. So this <laughs> makes news around the world, you know, footballer in his celebration is, is paying tribute to Family Guy. Everyone's up in arms that they've killed off Brian in Family Guy. <laughs> Even the Express and Star newspaper in Wolverhampton, by the way, thought it was as well. Um, and they afterwards t- de- deleted their tweet, but it was Wolf Striker League Griffiths reveals tribute to Brian Griffin from TV's Family Guy. Hashtag RIP Brian Griffin. Um, that was in the Express and Star newspaper, but they removed that. Um, who, but Who was Brian? Brian was a family member. Oh. And uh, what everyone's gone on oh. to say about this is... If he was if he was wanting to give a tribute, then his tribute has reached millions more people yes. than it was ever going to do. And if the Brian that sadly passed away, not the dog, had a sense of humour, I can imagine he's up there mm. just chuckling away, thinking, I've made news all around the world. Yeah, all around the world. There you go. Kate, your last one. One of the ultimate permanent tributes that you can make for your club or your particular favourite player would, of course, be a tattoo. Mm. Not so permanent if it goes wrong. Such is the case in point for a young Liverpool fan who tried to get Colo Torre's name. Lindsay wants to know why it's Colo Torre. <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking if you've got the whole Liverpool squad to choose from, why would you choose Colo Torre? Don't get me wrong, um, I'm sure he's a lovely guy, but wouldn't you go for Henderson or wouldn't you go for... You're going to go for Sterling. a letter on each toe like you do love hate on your knuckles. It has to be five, doesn't it? <laughs> Suarez, Suarez. Well, he's going to regret... Well, he regretted choosing Colo Torre because it came out Colo Toro. Um, uh, very embarrassing for him. Um, apparently the, the player found out about it and even offered to change his name to Colo Toro so that the fan wasn't so embarrassed by the Toro rather than the Torre on his foot. And there were a few jokes about shirts being uh, being uh, made with Toro on them as well. Uh, what about this? For a rather unfortunate tribute tattoo, there was a, a Newcastle fan who decided to have a full-length portrait of uh, Newcastle goalscorer Andy Cole tattooed on his thigh so the full you've got a whole thigh full of Andy or Andrew Cole as he's now known what happened 
Well, it was the day before he left for Manchester United. Oh. <laughs> How gutted would you be? Uh, fortunately or not, the very resourceful tattoo artist, when the guy went back in and said, well, this just is, is not going to do, the very resourceful tattoo artist managed to change Andy Cole into Celeste Ferdinand. Oh. <laughs> That's very talented. How did he manage to do that? Um, you're looking at me, Haley, like you've got another one. Well, it's because I mentioned Craig Bellamy, so I thought I'd best let mm. you know about his tribute to children in Sierra Leone. He actually, we know about many people with different football foundations and charities, but he went above and beyond. He went against Liverpool wishes to fly out to Sierra Leone to go and visit children. Um, He set up the Craig Bellamy Foundation based out there offering kids the opportunity of playing football. He travelled around the country with tons of equipment, stopping off in various places to go and meet kids, drop off the equipment and have them play football. And he's continued to support with money and his time this charity for many, many years. I think it's really great when footballers pay a tribute to those in other countries to help them with their future. There you go. We will end on that nice note. Uh, I say end. We're actually going to have a quick update on all things La Liga. What a what a week it's been. Um, we've got Rhiannon Jones. Rhiannon. Hola chicas, from a very proud city with both Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid getting ready for Lisbon later this month. The Spanish capital becomes the first city in the history of the European competition with two teams through to the final. So we're very much looking forward to that over here. Meanwhile, in La Liga Loca, it's turning out to be one of the most entertaining and unpredictable seasons in years with plenty of twists in its tail. Real Madrid's one-all draw at via the lead, the latest. The game saw Cristiano Ronaldo come off with an apparent injury in the eighth minute, while Sergio Ramos celebrated the recent birth of his son and his 400th appearance for Real Madrid by scoring his fifth goal in four games. But it wasn't enough in the 86th minute Humberto Osorio pulled one back for relegation threatened Valladolid. Until Wednesday's game in hand, the title race was still very much wide open following a weekend of shock slip-ups with all three at the top dropping points. However, Real Madrid's latest draw now puts them in third place on 84 points, one behind Barcelona and four adrift of their cross-city rivals. Mathematically, all three sides are still in the title chase with two games remaining although Ancelotti's men will now be relying heavily on other results it looks more and more likely that this title will be going down to a tantalising final day clash at the new Camp on May the 18th between holders Barcelona and Atletico who are chasing their first league title since 1996 that's it for now Adios, girls. Thank you very much for that Rhiannon, uh, by the way did you see Cristiano Ronaldo's Back flick volley. The mule kick. Oh, <gasps> so good. Loved it, loved it. Absolutely brilliant. Um, I, I think they're going to win the Champions League final. And I said that many weeks ago. I tipped Bayern Munich last year. They won. I tipped Real Madrid this year. And I still think they will win. But I never put any money on it. That's the thing. Well, that's where you're going wrong, isn't it? Yeah. I know, I know. Well, my, my guess is, I, I just think a team from Madrid's going to win it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think you're 100% covered on that one. Uh, thanks very much, girls, for this week. See you again next week, and we'll reflect on all things end of Premier League season. Boo hoo! The female take on football.